Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of Teaching Tales, the podcast totally devoted to sharing stories from the world of education. I am your host, Brent Coley, an elementary principal in beautiful and very hot Southern California. We're recording in the summer right now, so we are in triple digits. Joining me today in also hot and humid uh, (laughs) conditions, Kristen Coppers. How are you, Kristen? I am great. How are you? I am super. I know that it's it's summertime and you, you guys are enjoying a, a swim day with the kids. I appreciate you taking a little time out to uh, to share some stories about uh, about something that you're passionate about. But before we jump in, go ahead and let any listeners know who is Kristen Coppers. Well, um, I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, um, you know, a teacher, an educator you know, all of the above. Uh, I do live in Illinois. It is hot and humid. The temperature actually went up to about 88 degrees, but that doesn't include our heat index. Um, I think we'll be at about 95, 99 on Saturday. So the kids are swimming. Um, But I'm a National Board Certified Teacher. I certified in 2009, uh, just after my son was born. And I did renew it. So I will find out in November, December this year if I do have uh, that to go with. Um, I won several different awards out here. Uh, you know, the everyday hero where, um, with all my volunteering that I do, um, with the kids, with the community. Um, I have, I'm part of a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, I write a lot. So there's a lot of different parts of me that you may or may not see, whether it's online or just at home. Um, but I'm very passionate about teaching and what I teach my students on an everyday basis. Awesome. Awesome. Well, congrats on your, your national board certification. I've got a couple teachers who, who went through that process and that's not a small thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> that- it takes a long time. I mean, you got to start preparing a couple years in advance if this is what you want to do, because you, I spent probably about 45 plus hours just on renewal. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it uh, seen seen what uh, our teachers uh, had to had to do in terms of the the qualifications and the things that had to to create and submit was um, it was not uh, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> so, congrats on that. So, well, and I know that uh, you mentioned. I mean, you're in the classroom, which yeah. is which is which is awesome. And one of the things that you are passionate about, you you recently published on this is differentiated instruction, which I know, which classroom teachers, administrators, anyone in education, we hear that word a lot. I know when I was, when I was as a, in the classroom, we heard that a lot and we know the importance of it, how important it is to differentiate. I mean, that is, many will call it a buzzword, but it's so much more than that because it's, it's legit. <laughs> One size doesn't fit all in the, in Teaching. I mean, we've got, how many students do you typically have in one of your classes? Um, I teach high school level, so secondary ed. I have sophomores and seniors, so I can teach um, anywhere from a class of 27 to 33 for five hours a day, roughly about 140 kids. Wow. Yeah. And, and to think that 27, anywhere between 27 and 33 kids are all at exactly the same level is, um, it's just, 
ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, it's just not, it's not possible. And even if you, if you cut that number in half or by a third, even if you had six or seven kids only, they're not all going to be <laughs> working at the same level. So Kristen, do me a favor. How, how did, I know you're passionate about this. I mean, enough that you, you, you recently published a book on this. Why, why differentiate instruction? What's your story behind this? So differentiate instruction, um, quite a few years ago, uh, this is one of the methods that we incorporated to the school on differentiating a unit. And I was one of the team leaders on this. And we did a drama unit where we would make um, different assignments for different levels of students. So if a teacher um, had a lower level of a student, then they can use one worksheet. If they had a higher level, then the students can use a different worksheet. The problem with that is you'd have several different worksheets for just the one assignment alone. Mm -hmm. So what I did was instead of differentiating the instruction for all students, we just differentiate the instruction for the teachers. So you can reach all students in different ways with the same assignment instead of trying to come up with, you know, 27 different assignments or 140 different assignments. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's, that's just, it's not manageable. <laughs> uh, and, and you'll get many that'll say like, well, and worksheets, not the answer anyway. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, 27 different worksheets, or I'm just going to cross these problems off on this worksheet. I mean, that's, that's not the answer. So when you say like differentiating the instruction from the teacher's perspective, what, what do you mean? Like what, what, what would that look like in your room, for example? So what I do is I first obviously find out where my students are in my class. Um, you know, it's like a pre-assessment. Um, when you look at differentiated instruction, you're looking at the aspects of what can you change so all students can learn. And Carol Ann Tomlinson, she actually is one of the um, founders that started all this, is that pre-assessments are a good way to determine where students are at in your specific classroom. So after we do that, um, then I try to differentiate how I explain something. So we have learners that are higher level. We have learners that are at the regular base. And then we have lower level learners that have a harder time understanding certain concepts. Um, so in the book, there are several different ways of doing this. So when we start a novel, I always give an intro to the novel with the author's biography, um, historical events that happen around that novel during that time. So students are aware of why the novel was written and why there are certain events or situations that happen within that novel. Mm -hmm. Once um, we get into the novel more, um, there's a couple of different things I do. Students who like to read on their own, they usually will go in the hall and read quietly. Um, if a student needs an audio, I'll play the audio in class. Or there is a time where students want to read together in small groups, and then they'll be in different parts of the room or a hallway. This way, they're choosing their own method of learning because we all know that if I play an audio, some students will fall asleep or not pay attention. Um, if they read on their own, they may be you know, daydreaming. So giving yeah. them an option of how they want to learn definitely engages the student. Absolutely. 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 That's, that's great. So, so, so beyond that, like, can you give me like some success, a success story, for example, with some of your 
something that you've seen, a way that you've done something in your classroom and how it's benefited either one particular student or multiple students? So um, creating interdisciplinary units is also a great way to differentiate your instruction. Um, I am not a math major. I'm horrible at math. Uh, the students can testify to that. So one year, um, the students read To Kill a Mockingbird their freshman year. Their sophomore year, we were able to go see a play at our local university. And so what I did was create a lesson from the book that they read freshman year to the play that they saw sophomore year. And then I related it um, to history and math. And of course, me being an English teacher, I had to relearn math, which was the triangle inequality theorem. And if anybody knows math, it's not an easy theorem to, to understand. <laughs> so we, uh, I coordinated it with a couple of teachers on my floor. And the triangle inequality theorem states that the sum of two sides has to be greater than the third in order to form a triangle. So if you think about it this way, if one side is three, one side is four, then that has to be greater than the third. And if you have the third is five, then three plus four is seven, which is greater than five. And students, you know, they'll start understanding that. But when you start throwing characters in there, then you have an issue of what do I mean? So this is how I, I understood the triangle inequality theorem and explained it to my students. Um, there are three main characters in the novel To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch, Bob Ewell, and Tom Robinson. And obviously history plays an important part in there because during this time it was the pre-civil rights movement where um, any, any man was tried by an all-white jury of men and that the African Americans did not have a fair trial no matter what. So we placed Atticus Finch in one, on one side and on the other side, we placed Tom Robinson. And then on the great, or on the third side, which would be side C, we placed Bob Ewell. So there the students would have to determine if Atticus Finch plus Tom Robinson is greater than Bob Ewell. And then they had to write a, a, a synthesis paragraph on that, explaining not only the triangle inequality theorem, but then explaining the relation between the characters. Wow. Definitely. Uh, definitely deeper <laughs> than, <laughs> than uh, what, what would your traditional assignment or something like that, like describe the character or something like that. And I love the cross discipline nature of that. I mean, as an English teacher bringing math in, I think the higher up we go, traditionally we see, less and less of that. Would you agree? Yes, uh, definitely. There's there's very little interdisciplinary units made. Um, it is harder to do, but I don't think that a lot want to go to um, create all that, you know, And but I'm one who does. I do it all the time. And I think that the more you connect other courses, students are engaged more and they see the value of those other courses. Yeah. Well, and just like in life, things things are not always compartmentalized things, uh, things there's, it's not like, all right, math stops at 1028 today. And now language start. I mean, it's like things, things mesh in real life. It's that we don't live like that. So I want to go back. You had mentioned choice at the beginning. And I think, and you also mentioned teachers, a lot of times they don't want, and, and, and I interpret that to mean like they don't have the time or 
to, to create all of those things. I think giving the choice, like you said, that is a, that is a, an easier way to provide because you're just going to lead to increased engagement if you give kids choice. Like you said, just back at the beginning, do you want to listen to it? Do you want to read it in a group or do you want to read it by yourself? I mean, when you do that, what are your kids' responses? Um, you know, they, I give them all three responses at first to have them make a choice because if I say you want to go to the hall, of course, all the students yeah. are like, oh, I want to go in the hall, you know. <laughs> um, but I have to make sure that they're following through with what they're doing. And I do check on them. I go in the hallway. I walk around. I don't just sit at my desk and, um, you know, do nothing. You know, I'll, I kind of sit myself to where I can hear them in the hallway or see them. And then I can also listen to the audio. Um, if there's, it depends on the groups. If there's a larger group that wants to read out loud, then and there's a smaller group that wants to listen to an audio, I send them the audio uh, link, and then they can listen to that in the hallway. So it depends on the group sizes of where they're at. Um, but I myself am a visual learner, so I have to see things in order to understand it, and sometimes I have to hear things to understand it. So I would read along by listening to the audio. Uh, and I know some students can. I also know some, some students can't, and the audio um, deters their way of learning. Absolutely. I saw on Twitter the other day, and it, it kind of reminded me, I said, hmm, this, I think this could tie into the conversation I'm going to have with Kristen, is it was a teacher who had, who had tweeted something out, and it kind of goes along with that choice. And as a language arts teacher, I, I want to see what your take would be on this. She had her students, because your kids read multiple books over the course of a school year. So, for example, you've, you've mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird and things like that. She had her students at the end of the unit, or excuse me, at the end of the year, create Netflix um, posters, for lack of a better term. So, for anyone listening, I mean, Kristen, are you a Netflix subscriber? Yes, I am. Okay, so when you go on a Netflix, so anyone listening, you picture when you're you're scrolling through and you see that when it fills up the whole screen and you've got like an image of the movie or the television show. And on the left-hand side, it says like a Netflix original. It's got the rating. And then you have a little synopsis of the show. Or if you go deeper, the episode. You know how you click or you tap or you select the show and then it'll show like the episode listing with a little thumbnail and the summary of that episode to the right of the thumbnail. Are you following me? Yep. <laughs> I'm visualizing it, but <laughs> we had her students create those like in Google slides could be done in PowerPoint, could be done in any in Google draw, um, Google drawings. She had her students create a Netflix style poster based on the book, one of the books that they read. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, what an engaging technology infused way to have students report on one of the favorite books that they read. And she didn't, and, and I retweeted this and I saw, so I kind of followed some of the thread of what people were saying. And they were saying like, do you have a template? Do you have a template that you can share with me? And the teacher her response was, no, I don't, because I didn't want to limit the kids. 
And she was working with, I think, eighth graders. So uh, they they would have a bit of tech savvy there. It would be a little harder with if you had, I'm at an elementary level, I would probably want to give them a little more. But she did, she's like, I didn't want to limit them. I gave them very few parameters because I wanted to see what they would come up with by themselves. I mean, what can you can you see something like that working with your students? So I did something similar to that uh, when we read 1984. Uh, we talked about propaganda and you know how we see it everywhere on TV, ads, commercials, even stadiums now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicago Stadium now being taken over by corporations. I mean, to me, Comiskey Park will always be Comiskey Park. I won't know it by any other name because that's how I grew up. Um, so what we did is we used poster my wall at the time and they had to create, create a propaganda poster based on, I guess we call it today's world. Uh, and then they had to focus on a saying that they created that would change someone's view of something to understand how propaganda can change someone's mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for students to understand dystopian novels, especially with like uh, 1984, because they don't understand if, if someone tells you it's going to happen, they're like, well, no, it's not. But you don't have that choice. And that's the thing. If I take away your choice, you have to do it. And that's the hard thing the students to understand. So for, me to un- so for me to differentiate the teaching in that way, I have to bring in things that they know. Mm. So if I told them, that they can't eat fast food anymore because it's not allowed and it's illegal, and they said they're going to do it, there's consequences, and the consequences are drastic. And so that starts to get them to understand, and it's not a worksheet where I have to do you know 140 different ones. I change the way I introduce or teach it to have students understand what I'm trying to get through through the novel. Exactly, yeah, and, and the same type of thing. When you have an open-ended when it's more open-ended, the, the assignment is open-ended, you can differentiate the teaching to the levels of those students, and then they have more freedom to express. I think that's the thing that I'm very passionate about is expressing. One of the things that we're going to be working on this year with our teachers is having those opportunities to express their learning, not be as one-dimensional or as cookie-cutter um, in a box literally like a diorama type thing, because there's just more engaging, more um, open-ended ways for students to demonstrate what they've learned, like that poster that you had your stu- that you had your students create, or the Netflix posters that um, that this teacher's eighth graders created. And I looked at some of them, and I showed my wife last night. I kind of pulled up Twitter and pulled up those images and showed her, and she's like, "Are those real?" I mean, they they looked like something you would see on Netflix. I mean, it was very, very impressive. I think that's a testament to not limiting our students. Right. And part of the other um, thing is the students want to know that their work is authentic. It's not just they're turning it into you for a grade. Because I found that students don't work their best if it's just turned into me. Mm-hmm. So one of my other interdisciplinary units that I did um, a few years back is that our uh, choir, our chorus musical was Into the Woods, uh, which is an awesome Mm -hmm. musical. My daughter loved that musical. (laughs) (laughs) And we read Chronicle of a Death Foretold by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. 
Uh, we also read earlier in the year Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. So what I wanted to do was I met with the choir director and he was all for it. And the students had to metamorpho more, use metamorphosis from a character or something from the novel and metamorphosize it into, into the woods aspect. And that's some of the pictures that are illustrated in the uh, current book that came out. Um, for instance, Abigail, our first place winner, and I actually had all these pictures of all their work online through a website and people would uh, vote on it from the public. It was a public site. And then we had about 573 votes. Nice. And so she used um, the magic beans that Jack had and it started to slowly transformed into the knives that killed Santiago Nassar. Mm. Wow. Um, and then another student, Emily, uh, she got second place of her drawing uh, she had Rapunzel that on one side and then the other half of the face was Davina from the novel. So they had the same characteristics. She, they had to also explain it, not just draw it, but explain how they metamorphosized and in what way. So it wasn't just a drawing, but they had a, and then they would, we would talk about it in class. And then on the three night production of the musical, their, all their artwork was displayed for the public to see. And it, that's awesome. That's, and I can only imagine the pride that those students felt. Um, Cause again, I, it, what, what you said about when their when their work is not just for a grade, when it's going to be seen by the public, I, I go back to something that Rushton Hurley has said, and many people have said it, but it, it's, it resonates and it has stuck with me that if, if, and I, and I always butcher, I don't, <laughs> I don't get it right every time, but it's something along the lines of, if students know their teacher is going to see it, they want it to be good enough. If they know the world's going to see it, they want it to be good. If, I, exactly. if they're turning in that essay to you, and and I'm sure you've gotten that question. I know I did when I taught. It's how many paragraphs does it have to be? How many pages does it have to be? Uh, <laughs> it's they're, they're, They want it to be good enough. But if you tell them, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we're putting this on the website and people are going to vote on this. They're, I mean, they don't just want it to be good enough. They want it to be good. And I can only imagine your students when, when like your winner, when, wow, you got, I got this many votes. People across the country saw this, or I visualize the students who made those Netflix posters if those students knew that I was showing my wife last night and we were like, oh my gosh, those are fantastic. Or if they knew that I'm talking about this in a podcast right now, <laughs> I mean, how, how cool would that be for the students? And the, I had to actually um, contact a few of them because they had to sign off on their release and they couldn't believe that after four years after graduating that I contacted them saying that their work was going to be in my book they were like extremely happy to the fact that I remembered them, took the time to contact them and explain what I was doing with it. That's, that's fantastic. That is, that is just super cool. So as we close, so you have, you've mentioned, you've mentioned your book. So, so let people know what's, what's the name of your book? How could they get a copy of your book? Um, what's, what's the book about? What are they going to find in it? So the book is um, called Differentiated Instruction in the Teaching Profession. It's innovative ways to change how we teach, not necessarily what we teach, and it's not going against standards or creating a new curriculum, 
but it's using what you have to make sure that you change your teaching methods so all students can learn. Um, in the book, there are several different chapters. Um, the first chapter is where it all began of how I started teaching because mm -hmm. honestly, I didn't go out to be a teacher at first. Um, I was a reporter, I was a writer, I worked for a newspaper. It wasn't until years later that I went back for my master's in English and got my teaching certificate. Um, then I, you know, I use collaboration on how to learn to collaborate with other uh, teachers, even through uh, the internet, uh, even having students collaborate with each other, uh, you know, using breakout boxes. Um, I was really inspired by Carrie Balcom's uh, sketch noting, and that's in there too, about different ways to take notes, because we all can't take notes the same way. Students like to doodle, and it's been proven that they're actively engaged, even if they're not writing down everything. They're still writing mm -hmm. something. Um, so there's a couple examples in there. Um, we talk. I talk about the interdisciplinary units that I've done, uh, and some ideas about and perspectives of how we see things. Um, the kids know every year. I'll tell them beginning that I can prove two plus two equals five logically. Maybe not mathematically, but logically. And they have to wait till October for me to do that because that's part of 1984's novel. And they always challenge me on it, and that's in the book, too, explaining the mathematical equation of how to see it from a different perspective. And that's the key word is um, the perspective aspect. And then and using 2 and 2 equals 5, it's been proven. And kids will call me on it, but they do enjoy the fact that they use critical thinking skills, which is really what we want our students to do because that's what they're going to need after graduation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and they could pick that book up on Amazon? On Amazon.com, uh, even through Edumatch Publishing, um, there is a Kindle version. There is a print version um, as of right now. But, yes, they can always pick it up there. And then I have a book signing coming up in Shorewood, Illinois, um, on July 23rd from at 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., which I'll have a few copies there as well, some T-shirts. Awesome. awesome. Well, I've I've ordered my copy. I ordered it last night, so it's on the way. And I, I, I like what you said there about it's, it's not going against the standards. It's not changing what you, we have to teach. It's changing how we teach because we as teachers know it's like there are certain things that are mandated. You've got to cover this. And... Uh, what I heard you say there without saying the words, it's like, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> we're changing the way we do <laughs> yeah. things, what we already do to make it better. So um, reminds me of Weston Kieschnick's take on blended learning. It's like, if you're a master direct instruction teacher, don't get rid of that. Let's see if we can use technology to make it better. So Awesome. Kristen, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to share. Hopefully, uh, I know I got something out of this. Hopefully, folks did as well. I thank you so much, Brent, for letting me come on and talk about it. I'm extremely happy with the book, um, and I hope others are too. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy. And for everyone listening, thank you. Thank you for, for tuning in, for taking about 30 minutes to, to listen. I appreciate it. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast and then you'll have new episodes automatically delivered to your podcast catcher. We're in iTunes, Google Play, Skitcher, uh, excuse me, Stitcher, uh, wherever you find your podcast, you can do it there. We're on Spotify as well. And uh, until next time, have a good one.